Set your house in order. Set your house in order. When someone is told that phrase to set their house in order, it's a sign that the end is near. You may not know this, but it's actually a biblical phrase. I can't tell you how many phrases I've learned, like the skin of your teeth I've found in the Bible. But this also is a phrase in the Bible that was told by the prophet Isaiah to King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20 verse 1. The death was imminent to set your house in order. Even hearing those words is painful for many of you. Many of you know those words because of a loved one who was told that the end was near. The hour had come. The death of a loved one was imminent. Set your house in order. Well, the hour has arrived for Jesus to set his house in order. And certainly the end was imminent. The die was cast. His fate was determined. And now, how would Jesus go about it? What would Jesus need to do to set things in order for him to return to his father? Well, fittingly for Jesus, he's going to be dealing with family matters. He's going to make sure as he sets things in order that he sets us, his bride, his church, his loved ones, his heart, his passion. It overwhelms me that when he knows that the hour has finally come, when he knows of the reality of a torturous Roman cross, when he knows of separation from the father. To set his house in order is to set you and me in order. To make sure that we get things right, understand things right, and that we are one with him. It's amazing to me as we look at God's word, what his, his final request is to his father. The request that we're going to find in what is known as Jesus's high priestly prayer uh, and recorded in John chapter 17. But it's Jesus' plea to his father. He's going to plea again in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's certainly going to pray on the cross. But this is the prayer that really comes in to sink after he's told, well, the hour is here. Set your, your house in order. And so what does he pray to his father? What does he ask of his father to set that house in order as he's preparing to die, knowing that the end is near? He not only has a, a final prayer, he also has a final meal to set his house, his disciples, and us in order. He has a final command that he gives to try to set things in order as he is again preparing to die. Tonight we will look at that final prayer, high priestly prayer in John 17. And we'll look at Jesus' final meal and commandment found in John 13 in that upper room. But before we turn to God's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, this whole story began because you loved sinners like us. And you set into emotion an incredible event that would cause us to be able to know the depth of your love, that you would send us your son. To come and to rescue us. And for him to be able to rescue us. To find lost sheep like us. He had to go to the darkest of dark places. Including a Roman cross. 
Father and Son, you didn't leave us here alone. Jesus, even in that week of your death, you talked about another that was to come, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. That the Holy Spirit would come and as his arrival, we would be comforted. We would be guaranteed there was more to come. But you would also, Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach us the things that Jesus taught. Teach us the things that he did so that we could understand them. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in the name of Jesus into this place and that you would be teacher. That you would teach us, each of us, the significance of what that upper room meant to us. As Jesus set his house in order, how glorious it is that we were a part of what he was thinking and praying about. Holy Spirit, be the teacher. Speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that are said that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of a God who loves sinners like us this well. Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name we pray. Amen. First thing I want to look at is this this prayer, Jesus's prayer, as he's setting his house in order. It's often known as his high priestly prayer. Maybe your Bible in John 17 has that title there. I'm going to read to you God's word. The words will be behind me on the screen so you could read along silently, but hear the word of the Lord. I'll begin at one verse one through five. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And I love this. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your, pre- in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 9, the prayer continues. I love this. He's thinking of us. I am praying for them, the disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Skipping down to verse 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In them you are in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire 
that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to speak it, uh, make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What an incredible prayer. Did you hear the heart of his prayer? Did you hear what he was really asking for at this incredible critical moment? It's, it's absolutely astounding. He's, he's asking for oneness. I mean, not just any kind of oneness, but he's asking for oneness that exists, like that exists in the Trinity, the triune God, these, these three persons in one living God, each a separate person, but each one. And this incredible oneness is what Jesus is asking for us. I mean, as he sets his house in order, he would say that, that we, we would be one. Just as the Father is one with Jesus and Jesus is one with the Father, that we would be one in them. Incredible. Why? Well, he'll tell us. Why does he care about our oneness? Well, he says, well, so that, so that the world may believe that the Father has sent Jesus. It's interesting that they may believe. So, so as Jesus is setting his house in order, as he's giving this last prayer and he's, he's asking for our oneness so the world can see us. And the world can see the way that we're unified, the way that we are one with God and one within one another. And the world will know, you know what? Jesus must have come from the Father. There's no other way to explain this love. There's no other explain to explain this oneness. And there's a bond here that goes beyond all earthly bonds. It's got to be something from above. He also says, so that the glory the Father has given the Son can be given to us. I love the fact that all the love that the Father and Son share Jesus is so anxious to share with us all the glory, all that the son has, has deserved as the only begotten and only be obedient son. He gives to us. He just wants us to have his name. He, he wants us to have his reputation. He wants us to have his father's love, all that oneness he wants to pour out on us. Why? So that we can be perfectly one. It's not enough that we're one, one perfectly. And by the way, one day we will be when we see him face to face. But it goes on to say, and more that so that. So that the world, earlier it says that the world may believe, and now it's a little stronger, so that the world may know, not just believe, but they may know that the Father sent me. I love this. He prays a prayer for oneness to say this. The Father not only sent me, but he loved me. And he loves you. As he loves me, he loves you. He, he wants us to be one with him. He wants us to be one with one another. Because why? Because out of that oneness, our love was going to flow. Out of that oneness, out of that connection with Jesus, we're going to be able to see the Father's glory. We're going to be able to know who he is. I love it because Jesus is basically saying, hey, before the time began, before you created anything, we had this relationship, we had this glory and I'm coming back to it. But let me tell you, heaven is no longer heaven without us. Heaven is no longer heaven without you and me, his, his sheep, his beloved. And he wants us to be one. And he says, I, I can't go home without knowing that these are loved. 
oneness. Oneness is a tool to show the world that the Father has sent Jesus. But what I want us to really bask in is this oneness is the conduit. It's the connection for us to know the love of the Father. Oh, how the Father loves the only begotten Son. Some of my favorite passages of Scripture, when, when the Father can no longer be silent. You, we've looked at many of those. Things like at his baptism. Uh, things like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Even last week, before the cross, uh, the Father would boom out and say, That's my beloved Son. He couldn't contain himself. That eternal, perfect union relationship. And all of God the Father's Son is experienced through God the Son. That's the conduit. We, listen, we can't know the Father's love apart from the Son. I mean, the Son it says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way to experience the Father's pleasure. There's no other way to experience the Father's love. There's no other way to be wrapped and enveloped in this loving triune God except through Jesus. That's why oneness is so important. It's the Father who will declare Jesus, you're the one in whom I am well pleased. And it's the Father who will declare to all of us who by God's grace through faith are in Christ Jesus and have been united to him that we too, listen, we too can hear the Father say, I am well pleased. How is your life today? Is the enemy at your toes? Is he he whispering in your ear all the things you're not? Are you being reminded maybe even during the sermon or the service of the brokenness of your own life and the things that you've, you've done wrong or left undone? The Father wants you to know you are loved in Christ Jesus. The Son's life and death was sufficient. And now we can experience the Father's love. You read through Scripture and what you're going to realize is this, that God delights in unity in the midst of diversity. Now, I, I want you to understand this because when he talks about oneness, he's not talking about one bland color that we all become one that you can't even tell anything apart. He's, when he talks about the, the end, when we, the new heavens and the new earth, he talks about this oneness and unity, but he still says there's going to be those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. God loves variety. He's made variety. Brown and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. And so this oneness doesn't take away the distinctive that you individually are made in God's image. You individually have great worth because you reflect God's greatness. Individually, that's true. And he loves variety. But in that variety, it's oneness. Even in marriage, it's interesting to me that he's going to make both male and female in his own image. How different are male and female? And as soon as he makes two, what is he, what's the first thing God does when he makes two? He makes them one. As soon as he has two in his image, he makes him married. So he's, God loves unity in the midst of diversity. That's us, church. Be you. God's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you, you. But he's given you to us. And the Holy Spirit is to make us one. Our oneness will never deny our uniqueness as individuals. All we have to look at is a trinity. But what is, what is behind all this oneness talk with Jesus. I think we got to get this. This is really important. Jesus is talking about a new community. I mean, he has come as a fulfillment of a new covenant. Uh, he has come and he's, 
Even remember the story when Jesus was told, hey, your, your mother and some brothers are out here. They're looking for you. And he's like, well, who's my mother and brothers? It's kind of rude, don't you think? But you know what he's really saying? This is family. I'm making a new community right here. Be astounded. Be astounded that you mattered to Jesus on that night when he was putting things together. Be astounded that your oneness, your connection to him and the father was important enough for him. That's what he's praying for. Because why? He says, hey, it's a family trait. About our family, the one thing is clear is we're one. You're part of my family. That oneness has got to be a part of that family trait. And then we have not only this final meal, our final prayer, we also have Jesus's final meal and commandment. It's going to be in John chapter 13. We're going to look at this for a few moments. John 13. I'm going to begin by reading the beginning of the chapter, 1 through 17, and then we'll skip to the end, 31 through 35. Again, the words should be behind me on the screen. Now we're in the upper room. The hour has come. Hear these words of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. I just love that. How many things that Jesus could say, you don't get this now, but one day with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get this. And Peter said to him, like Peter can, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put aside his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you consider what I have done to you? Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all, uh, of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me uh, receives the one who sent me. I'm going to read now in verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, this is uh, Judas had gone out. Now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. Wow. Again, as Jesus is putting his house in order, how does he do it? He does it by washing our feet. He does it by giving us a command to love one another. This is the end of his life. Love one another. Why? As I have loved Jews, how we're to love one another. How does he love us? Well, it's an enduring love. Chapter 13 starts off that tells us that Jesus who loves us and he loves us to the end. It's an enduring love. And don't forget who he is loving to the end. These guys aren't very lovable. (laughs) These guys are forgetful. These are the ones who, at the end, it's, everything became tense. As the stakes seemed a lot higher, there was tension in the air. There's all this talk of betrayal. And there were arguments that were breaking out among the disciples of who's going to be the greatest. They really didn't get the gospel yet. They didn't understand the cross. They were really a mess. They were all about to deny him. They were all about to flee. And he still, he loved them to the end. I got to tell you what strikes me is this. If he could love that group of people to the end, he could love you and me to the end too. He will never let, never let us go. It's an enduring love. It's how we're to love one another. It's not an easy love. It's a love that will cost us something. It's an initiating love. But it's a sacrificing love. Jesus is going to disrobe To serve them by washing their feet. And in just a few hours, he will be disrobed to wash our hearts. And here is a quote back from 400 AD. He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped round himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under earth knelt to what was as feet of his disciples. This is God Almighty. This is maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of God who's in flesh. Washing his disciples' feet. Humbling himself. Why? So that, again, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. He's saying, this is the reason I'm doing this. is because this is how you're supposed to love. And the reason I'm doing this, this is how the world is to know. And so we see all these commands that God has given us so that the world might believe that the father has sent me. 
So the world might know that, that I am here for you. And so the world might know that I love you in the way you love one another through us. It's crazy. This is how God wants to tell the world that he's true. He wants us to be one with him. He wants us to love and care for one another. In that upper room, Jesus would give his disciples and to us a meal that will tangibly show the depth of love for us. Reminds us of how much he would love us, not just to wash our feet, but to hang on a cross. It's a meal to remember. Remember that sacrifice. A meal, a promise that he will come back for us. It's a meal to challenge us to love one another. It's a meal that's given to a new community. A new community that's one with him. A new community that's been forgiven. And a new community is to love one another. That is what is before us tonight. In that upper room. And in that prayer. He thought of us. It was on the very night that Jesus was betrayed and he took bread. And after he had given thanks to his father, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture will tell us that we are to partake of this meal as often as frequently to be reminded until he comes again for us. It's tangible meal that's to strengthen us and nourish us. On that same night, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant that was promised by Jeremiah, the new covenant that is shed in my blood. And my blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins for so many, for all of my family. As often as you eat this bread and take this cup, you're declaring my death, my love for you. Drink it. All of you. This evening, we're going to ask you to come. Those of you who, by God's grace, are a part of God's family. If you're a part of that new community, that oneness with the Father. If you're a part of that community that, that knows of a Savior who washes your feet. Come and partake again of the depth of God's love. Let me encourage you to, to come as a family. If you have come with family and friends, if you come with friends. Or as come when you feel ready. We see we have some chairs set up here. Uh, again, we're going to have some elders and some leaders sitting in these chairs. And so if you would want to first go and be prayed for before you take communion, maybe that would be great. After you have communion, if there's something you're struggling and you want to be prayed for or anytime during, you can just go. We're going to give you some space, some time, uh, some songs will be uh, being played. Let me encourage you, examine your heart. Examine uh, the depth of love that God has for you when you are ready uh, come forward um, and, and take. And again, it'll be intention. There's going to be uh, a couple of uh, elder pastors on this end of the table, a couple on this end of the table. I will be back here uh, as well. So come um, to wherever God leads you. I'm going to ask the first ones to come to be the leaders who will be praying for you to come first and, and take communion. So as they come, would you prepare your hearts to come?